I'm Jolie, your branding badass, and welcome to my new podcast, Branding Matters. My guest today is Jordan Doucette, partner and president of No Fixed Address, an award-winning independent ad agency. Jordan's natural talent for communicating, storytelling, and collaborating with others is at the heart of her success. Her work is not only groundbreaking and incredibly brave, but it has been recognized by most major advertising award shows, including Cannes, The One Show, The Cleos, and The Cassies. I invited Jordan to be a guest on my show today to talk about brand building during a pandemic. I wanted to learn how a brand goes to market differently now than versus before COVID. And I was really curious to get her point of view on what trends are here to stay. Jordan, welcome to Branding Matters. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Super fun. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I'm super excited to have you here. This is so great. Well, we have a lot to cover. So let's talk about no fix address. You know, we believe in magic over margins. And so it's like, hey, let's go after great talent and let them do their thing and not put them in these boxes. And so no fixed address kind of comes from that mentality. It was started by Dave LaFond and his wife, Rachel, Serge and his wife, Shannon. And it was just the four of them four years ago, which is amazing. We're 180 people across a whole bunch of offices now, which is an amazing amount of growth in a, in a very little amount of time. No kidding. Four years. Yeah. That's amazing. Where were they before? Were they at another agency? They all came from the network world, like big jobs at different places, um, mm-hmm. which I think is cool. I think it's really amazing that we have a lot of people who've had those experiences. So everyone has kind of come with their different backgrounds, but sort of a shared ambition as to how we would redefine agencies if we could start from scratch, which they mm-hmm. did. That happens a lot. I used to work in the advertising world. I think I mentioned to you many years ago yeah. in my past life, and there's always a lot of changeover. People tend to go from different agencies. And then what happens a lot of times is it's never really quite what they want. So then they decide, you know what, screw this, we're going to go do our own thing. And I think that's when a lot of great creativity and a lot of great agencies come out of that. So well, congratulations. That's amazing. Good for you. Okay, so I want to back up a little bit. You went to Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. You're a little bit of a rival. I went to Western. I don't know if I told you that. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was always like Queen's against Western. And it's funny, I didn't realize it, that you studied sociology. And so did I. I actually did sociology and psychology psychology, which is really interesting. So why did you decide sociology? And how did you go from sociology to advertising? <laughs> you know what? I wasn't smart enough to do anything else. That like whole part of my oh, life. Oh, come on. But <laughs> I... sociology, didn't you? Had, like, don't you remember doing statistics? Like I hated statistics when I was doing Well, I that. hated all of it. And I was so actually, it's a testament to like how little guidance you get when you're that young. So I guess I would have been 17 when I picked what university, like nobody really talked to me about like what I want to be when I grow up and what the sort of university part would give me. And so I got there, I just kind of picked Queens because I'm like, well, it doesn't suck. That's funny. I picked Western because my brother went there and I went to visit him and it was a total party school. And I'm like, okay, I want to go here. (laughs) Right? Like it's not exactly like super informed. And so the things that people will talk to you about are like the things that you know the big jobs. And this is why advertising, I think, has a major issue with diversity, because it's not something that anyone talks to you about when you're in high school, especially like I grew up in a small town. Where did you grow up? uh, Barrie, Ontario. Oh, okay. 
And what do your parents do? My mom is a designer and my dad had his own company. So entrepreneur. Very cool. A furniture designer or a fashion? Fashion designer. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So she's super creative. So again, but I was like, I don't know what I'm going to be. I don't even know what my skills are. So I went to Queens and I credit my friend, Alyssa Kerbel, who started, I don't know if you know this store called Mini Miosh. It's a baby store. It's amazing. She was my roommate. And every other week, I swear to God, she'd come home and be like, guys, I know what we're going to do when we grow up. And she'd have these like crazy ideas. And one time she came home and she was like, we're going to be copywriters. And I was like, I don't know what a copywriter is, but it sounds cool. Let's all apply. Right. Like that was like how little I. Oh, I know. Ignorance is bliss though, because it gives you that courage because you don't know what the hell you're doing. So you're like, what the hell? Right. What the hell? I'll just Right. If you knew now, if you knew now, you didn't know then how it would be different. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. So you're right. Actually, I was so naive and I was like, whatever, I'll, I'll apply. That sounds cool. Like Alyssa was cool. She must know what's up. And so she was like, okay, we'll, we'll apply to PR and we'll apply to copywriting. And I was like, I don't even know what copywriting is. So we did. And I remember getting like an interview it was at Humber College. And one of the things they said in the interview is, well, if you get into PR, you have to wear pantyhose. So like dress up. And I was like, I don't want to wear pantyhose. I'm like, well, I'll just go to copywriting school. It was like how I decided. Pantyhose or no pantyhose was my decision maker in ending up in the postgraduate program of copywriting. That is crazy. Yeah. Like who says that, right? It seems so absurd. And then when I started at Humber, I remember like all these people in my class were like, oh, like I love Saatchi and Saatchi and I've already had an internship here, there. And I was like, what are these? these people talking about. And so I really felt like, oh my God, what have I done? I don't know what this is. And then as I started to figure it out, I super loved it. And I realized, holy smokes, you can have a whole career being creative and solving problems. I'm so grateful that I ended up liking it, but it was not a planned path. And I find most people I meet fell into it some weird way, which again, goes back to, I think the bigger industry issue right now, which is there's not enough diversity because I think there's not enough planning for different kinds of people to hear about it at a time in their life where they can plan for this to be a goal. Because if you think about advertising, there's like a trillion kinds of jobs for all kinds of people. There's creative, there's strategy, there's media, there's business leadership. Like there's so many cool things. There's production. Most people, if you ask them, they're like, oh, I decided to do it because rando and here I am. So what was your first job then in advertising? Do you remember? Yes. I worked at Ambrose Carr, Linton Carroll. Students always ask me, did you decide to hold out for like the dream job or like, how did you approach it? And my thing was just get a job. The foot in the door Uh is better at any place than no foot in the door at all. And so I'm like, I'm going where they hire their interns. So that was my number one priority. I wrote car headlines. And I wrote, you know, those things that hang from the ceiling at like fast food restaurants. Yeah, I would write the headlines and I would write the trailiner. Do you remember your first uh, ad that you wrote? um, Yes, it was for (laughs) an Acura car and it said arrive fashionably late. I think that's what the line was. Oh, that's great. And that was your (laughs) you came up with that. Yeah, it was like in the newspaper and I was so proud. From there, I went to Gray. And then I just sort of like leaped from there. And yeah, leap is a good word because you really excelled. I mean, you ended up, you were in Chicago with Leo Burnett for quite a few years, correct? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because that's pretty impressive. I was a can juror, I don't know how many years ago. Um, And one of the things that happens to you when you're a juror is like headhunters meet you. I think they just do that, right? Like it's part of it. And I felt myself being really defensive or like slightly embarrassed about the work I had in my book because none of it was like 
big brands that, you know, global people would recognize. So Cannes is like a global show. The headhunters weren't from Canada. So a lot of the stuff I was like, oh, it's a Canadian brand. Like it's meaningful in my country. <laughs> so after that, I was like, you know what? Like I need a life adventure. Like I want to go in the States and like work at a big agency that has big brands that everybody knows. And my daughter was not too old that you can't move them, but not too little that it was, was going to be hard. And my husband's like, hey, I'm super up for the adventure. Let's do it. And I started interviewing and I met Britt Nolan, who was the CCO of Leo Chicago at the time. And I loved him and he's like, move to Chicago. And so we did. I love Chicago. I it's Honestly, it's one of my favorite cities. I, I love it so Beautiful. much there. Yeah. And you were there for how many years? Two and a half years. And then... Dun, 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 dun. You decide to come back to Canada to NFA and your timing could not have been worse. Yeah. Oh my God. Totally. <laughs> Can we talk about that? It was, I don't know, maybe like the most stressful period <laughs> of time in my life. So I, we had decided to, for actually more personal reasons than job related reasons. Like I loved my job there, mm -hmm. um, but my dad had passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. To Chicago. And then my mom was was in Toronto alone. My kid would have been going to high school. And I'm like, hey, if we don't move back now, we'll never move her like mid high school. Like, should we go home? And so we're like, yeah, maybe that's the right thing to do for like life. And so I think in January, I resigned. January 2020. Yeah. So like pre-pandemic. And then I was going to stick around for a couple of months. And then we're like, you know what? My kid will stay in Chicago and finish school. And maybe I'll just commute like all of these like grand plans. And then it was like, Hey, there's this weird virus. And I remember being at work one day and they're like, everyone just needs to go home. We we're like, shit, like, what are we going to do now? You know, trying to sell a house in a pandemic, moving in a pandemic. And it was still when everyone's like, we have no idea what it means. We're going to lock down the borders. We're like, what does that mean? And I remember calling like, the border crossing people. and They were like, just come home. And we're like, okay. So <laughs> oh, we just moved home, but it was super complicated and really weird and kind of scary and quarantining when we got here, you know, also trying to like move stuff across the border. Anyways, it was crazy times. But once we landed, I was like, I feel like fate or like maybe my dad was like, hey, you know what, you should go like, hurry up, go. Was that like tornado following behind you in the scary movie where we sort of had no idea what was about to happen to us. And we were just like kind of one step ahead. I believe that actually my dad passed away long, well, 1999. And things happened that I do that I, I'm like, okay, that was him. That was yeah. him guiding me and helping me. Out. So I, I actually do believe that. But That's we can awesome. say that for another podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you came back to Canada, back to Toronto, and then you are the president of New Fix Address, which is quite an amazing feat. So congratulations on that. So how has it been since you started? Because literally you haven't even been into, you've been working from home since you started day one. Yeah, yeah. totally. That job to me is my bedroom. Like, Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's so weird. You know what the funny thing is? They have um, such a strong culture, like on social and the way that they behave. And I'm and I was like quite close with with one of the founders since he started it. So I kind of felt like I knew the place. So it's always funny when people bring up that like, actually, I've never been there because I don't feel that way. I just feel like I sort of knew it and I knew the culture to some extent. I mean, obviously not all the little like fun nuances. And maybe it's because it was so stressful getting here that I'm happy to be here and the rest is like, who cares? So how has the pandemic affected your business? And how about your clients? How has it affected them? You know, I think the, the biggest thing might be kind of moving from the mentality of like 
day-to-day instead of long-term planning. And so it's like short-term planning, making no assumptions and making sure that we can like change our mind on a dime. Everything from planning to shoot a commercial, we were like, who knows, this might not be possible or the idea that we have might not be possible. And we've encountered that, like we've had shoots planned, everything was okay. And then they're like, you can't because of COVID. So I would say like backup plans upon backup plans with a lot of our clients, you kind of know what their year looks like, right? So it's like, we'll do a Christmas spot and then we'll do this and we'll do that. It's kind of, again, no assumptions that those things are going to roll out the way that they always have. So we've just stayed nimble. Some of our clients have done brilliantly well through COVID, sales being up, changes in their business that we couldn't get prior to that. And some of our clients have had a much harder time. I would say it's a a mixed bag. In terms of like internally how we're doing business, I would say that we're like far more open, transparent, and empathetic, right? And I think we realize that like mental health is priority number one, and also recognizing that with any kind of trauma like this, I think people evaluate like their life goals. Like what am I doing? And is what I'm doing worthy? And so we really try and like make sure that we we make people feel like this job is worthy. People always say we're not curing cancer. So let's make sure that like, you know, we hire great people who work well together, that it's as, as fun as it can be and not take it too seriously. And so, you know, I think we've had really good retention rates. We haven't had to have, you know, a lot of cuts because we've just been managing it as, as best as we can. You know, you had mentioned about, um, you know, we're not curing cancer. It's funny. I remember in the day working where you would say crisis, we're in a crisis, we're having a crisis, <laughs> we're a crisis, right? And now with everything that's happened, it puts crisis into a whole new category, right? I mean, I'm really cautious about not using that word when I'm working yeah. because is, is it really a crisis, Julie? Really? Because, you know, an order's late or something goes wrong with artwork or all those things that you know are going to happen on your job. It's like, is that really a crisis? <laughs> Right. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I yeah. Agree. Oh, yeah. Good no, perspective. I, I think it's good yeah. perspective, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the older you get too, I get more like that too. The things I used to panic about years ago, now it's like, okay, well, I'll do the best I can. And I always try to come to the table with a solution, but at the end of the day, it's like shit happens. Shit right? happens, totally. So, <laughs> okay, so well, let's talk about your clients. One in particular is the Canadian Center for Child Protection. You have a new campaign out called Hashtag Twitter Birthday Plea. Amazing, congrats. And I think this is going to be another award winner. What is Hashtag Twitter Birthday Plea? They Mm -hmm. are an amazing client. Like I cannot even tell you. So it's this tiny organization in Winnipeg run by two women who are a force of nature, truly incredible. Like the work that they do in protecting our children is, is beyond amazing. And so we feel great honor in being able to work with them. How do you take a topic that is so serious and disturbing and how do you build a branding campaign around it and try to create awareness. We we started talking to the client about the fact that like the the big platforms that we use every single day, like that is where CSAM lives. And so you and I would be like, but I've never seen it. And it's like, right, but it's there. It's like right underneath the surface. And I think a lot of people go like, no, that stuff lives on the deep, dark, horrific web. And it's like really awful people. And that's where it's shared. And it's like, that's just not the truth. So that's like one big piece that people don't talk about. It happens on Twitter. It happens on Facebook, like you name it. Now, our client has created a tool called Arachnid that helps identify CSAM, flags it, and then removes it. Twitter does not use and has declined the use of Arachnid. And so they are one of the biggest platforms that does little to 
prevent the spread of CSAM. In fact, like they're so proud of like one tweet goes across the world in like seconds or whatever it is that they say. And so we're like, yeah, but that also includes this horrific material that if your kid has been victimized, they can't get the content off the internet unless the platform does something about it. And Twitter's position is it just doesn't violate our policies. And so kids, it's so horrific. It's so crazy. When I saw that, I just couldn't believe it. Right. And it's so hard to believe, which is, again, also part of the problem. And so... um, Because it's not like they can't, right? Like they have, they can, they can, no problem. They can. They can. And there's a free tool that would help them. And they say they're doing things about it, but obviously it's not enough. So what ends up happening is these survivors try and find the content and take it down themselves. And so this Twitter birthday plea was like, you've got to help. You cannot let survivors be the only ones advocating for themselves. And one of the things that we feel very passionate about is like finding the right cultural moment to launch an idea. So instead of like trying to start a conversation that people aren't having, it's like, well, how do we join a conversation? And so the more research we did, we're like, hey, Twitter's going to turn 15. They're going to talk about their birthday. And it's like, well, we should basically show them the impact of their 15 years in business, basically, and what that has had on children. So we created that video that we would then launch on Twitter on their birthday. So it's like taking two very powerful things, mashing them together and sort of watching them explode. And it's scary. And like our clients are incredibly brave, right? Like calling Twitter out, you know, it's hard to find all of the right facts. And so we had to work really, really hard to make sure that like what we were saying, obviously, is very true. But then giving people a tool, which is what can I do? And it's like, share this video, because the more people who start understanding that it's happening, the more people can advocate for change. The other part of the problem is like, there's no law that forces them to do anything. And so we've kind of like summarized it as it's, it's one of the world's biggest problems, only it's nobody's problem to solve. And so what ends up happening is the survivors try to solve them for themselves or eventually they give up and commit suicide. Yeah. Has it launched already? It has launched. Okay. So, and you launched it on Twitter. Yeah. Which is really interesting. So were you worried at all about, I mean, talk about being brave, but were you worried at all about them coming after you or any sort of legal action or counterattack or like what, what's been the response? Has there been, I mean, I I assume there's been a ton of positive response, but that is there, has there been any backlash from Um, either Twitter or lawyers or anything? You're like, this is amazing. You're like, press go. And then you're like, yeah. Oh, I, it's, it was, you know, months and months and months of work. Like the video in and of itself is like not a lot of work, but the like planning and the figuring out what we're going to do if bad things happen. Um, they simply said no comment. Wow. And we suspected that they would just ride it out. Now, again, what we tried to do is create a video that, you know, you watched it and it's, it's quite emotional. Oh yeah. Um, combining that with the conversation around their birthday, we knew that, that the press would pick it up. And so you know, we didn't need to put media behind it. We just let this thing travel because it was so unbelievable. The other interesting tidbit is we try to surround it with sort of more mass advertising. So wanted to buy some media in San Francisco, wanted to do some cinema things, and um, we got rejected. I was going to say nobody would touch it. Nobody would touch it, which again, just goes to say, like, how can a giant platform like this be allowed to just do what they want, basically? And I always thought to myself, like, you know, 
So were your kid. Like if that happened to my kid, I would just assume I would call someone on Twitter and be like, hey, you got to take this down. And it doesn't work that way. And I think that that piece is so shocking. And so all we ended up doing was the video and launching it on Twitter and then watching it spread as quickly as they always yeah. advertise it does. So well, good for you for and your client for really being brave, like you said, and standing up for something that you believe in. And I think right now we're in a time I hear when I talk to a lot of people in marketing about brand purpose and really standing up for something that you believe in. And even though you might be knocked down or come up against adversity, if it's something that you're passionate and you believe in and you're trying to change the world and make a better place, then kudos to all those companies and same yeah. with your company. This episode of Branding Matters is brought to you by Gems for Gems. Gems for Gems is a proactive charity focused on ending the cycle of domestic abuse. They do this by creating viable and sustainable paths forward for survivors. With a concentration on empowerment and economic recovery, Gems for Gems works hand-in-hand with the community to help survivors thrive. What can you do to help? Well, if you have any used jewelry lying around that you no longer wear, and let's be honest, we all have some of that, you can donate it to their jewelry drive. If you have any spare time and you want to find a way to give back, this is a great opportunity and you can join their ambassador program. I personally am a part of this ambassador program because I am all about empowering women and this is a great opportunity to do just that. And then finally, if you'd like to contribute financially, you can become a donor to their incredible scholarship program. Whichever way you decide to help, just know that you are making a huge difference and your contribution is meaningful and greatly appreciated. To learn more about Gems for Gems, you can visit their website at gemsforgems.com. You can also find them on Facebook under Gems for Gems and on Instagram under Gems for Gems Canada. And you can always reach out to me on any social media platform under Branding Badass. And now back to our show. So let's talk about social media. How do you think social media is changing the way brands go to market these days, especially during COVID, especially with everything else that's been happening the last two years? Yeah. Um, you know what I think? I, I feel very strongly, and maybe this bleeds into to one of your other questions, but I think the brands that have done well through COVID and before are those that have a strong understanding of what their brand stands for. And I don't think it has to stand for something like big and lofty, like they're going to, again, cure cancer. However, a strong point of view allows you to show up and behave in meaningful ways. And then if you really start to build that up, consumers have an expectation of how you will behave. You know, people have an expectation of how REI will behave, the things that they would do and the things they wouldn't do. And so you, I think, saw in the beginning with COVID, brands were like, shit, we got to say something, I guess. Like, we got to make a terrible montage video saying, you know, we're here to support you. And the ones who were doing it well, I think, had a clear sense of like who they are and how they behave in the world and then had the ability to go, great. So like, what would we say about COVID? And I think the brands who don't have a strong point of view were sort of lost. Brands who are meaningful and have a point of view, like are doing super well and they're fun. And I always say like, then it's it's kind of in the consumer's hands, right? Like you build up an expectation of how a brand behaves, like Burger King, right? Like picking a fight with McDonald's, being very provocative, like, you know, and then consumers like start to expect that. And so if they do something that doesn't align to that, they'll get called out for it. And so it's this like really interesting thing that like the more successful you are, the more of your brand lives in the in the hands of the consumers, and then they will hold you accountable to making sure that you behave that way, which I think is total brand success. 
And then I think often like we don't, including marketers, advertising people, you name it. I'm like, why do we sometimes treat brands like maybe going back to your very first question, like against humanity? Do you know what I mean? I was like, how many brands do you follow? And like, you just can't wait what that car company has to say to you. Like, you just don't. And so... (laughs) I think we have to take a a more honest look at like, what kind of content do people like actually want? What kind of utility are we giving to their life? And utility could be like joy and fun and sparky inspiration, or it could be serious or it could be actual utility. But I think the brands who think that you're going to follow a whatever, I'm not going to pick on anybody. Yeah. Get boring content. Like, I don't know. I don't do that. Do you do that? No. So who do you think are the ones that are succeeding and what is it about them that are making them more successful? One of the things that we have noticed in COVID is that there's been a shift in terms of like where people want to get their information. So I would say pre-COVID, people believed anything that an influencer told you, right? So you'd see people like, you know, health fads, things to eat, things not to eat, like some influencer should, could just say it and people would be like, yes. I think COVID, it's kind of like when shit gets real, people are like, oh man, like I want meaningful content and meaningful information. So we've seen a shift from influencer, fun, fad-like content to more real content. So it's like, yeah, and actually how is it made? And like, what are you doing about the environment? And what are you doing for your for your workers who work in your store? And is your packaging recyclable? And Yeah. Right? All of those. I do that. You know, you asked me earlier. I mean, I, every time I see something, the first thing I do is like, look at this packaging. Like what a waste. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so I think more and more the people are are saying that. And so I think in social media, like you really can't rely on like shiny content because people will call bullshit. And again, like the whole platform is for people to talk about it. And so you have to be incredibly careful, like how you go out in the world and what you're saying and what you're not saying, because people will call you on it. Mm -hmm. Do you think a brand can survive and not be on social media? I guess it, I guess it depends, defines how like social media in what way, like I think all brands need to be, all brands need to be experienced. And that's not, it's not the same as experiential. I think, how are you going to create experiences around your brand for your consumers? And I think like social does that by like content creation or some kind of utility or brand voice, right? Like Wendy's has such a, like a funny brand voice that like you follow it. Cause you're like, that's enjoyable. Like that feels like entertainment. So what like, do you think about Gary V? We'll just throw out a really popular social media person who is all over, I think, every social media platform. Well, you know what I like about him is like he brilliantly combines ideas for his clients with like moments and culture. That's what he's so good at. And I think a lot of that lives in social. So what we're finding is like when we've done um, activations like for craft, you know, we usually create like a little video, but people don't even really engage in that. They engage in the like social conversation in like getting your idea in a magazine is more exciting than seeing a TV spot. Does anybody watch TV anymore? (laughs) I mean, other than Netflix. People still watch TV. Do they? Yeah. Um, I think about my kids. So you have teenagers you mentioned. How old are your kids? one. She's 13. 13. So I have a 14-year-old and a 17-year-old. And I mean, they're on their iPads or their laptops. I I honestly don't think they watch TV. Everything is Netflix or YouTube. Yeah. My daughter only watches YouTube. Yeah. So that's why I was just sort of asking. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do think. I think brands have to figure out how to create experiences or demonstrate their point of view more than just like telling people in a TV ad or in a social post. I totally agree. What are the trends that you see sticking around and what are the trends that you see are just passing trends? I think the trend that will stick around or I hope sticks around is like feeling responsible to put content out in the world that has some utility, does something for humanity 
honestly, it can be a laugh, like Super Bowl, funny, big commercials that are like entertaining. I'm like, I see that as utility and playing a role in the world. People like it. You know, all these brands who are doing things for the betterment of the environment or inclusion. You see a lot of that stuff in Cannes. I'm like, I love that. So I think for me anyways, at the beginning of COVID, when everyone's making those horrible ads, I was embarrassed for our industry. What horrible ads? Like the COVID mishmash of we're here for you. Oh yeah. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) We're all in this together. We're all in this together. You'd see, you'd see a celebrity on their yacht drinking their champagne and going, I feel you. And we're all in this together and we'll get through this. So I feel like that, like that kind of like, oh my God, we should say something. So let's say something, even though it's not meaningful. I feel like people are going to get called out for that. And I think the stuff that like says something or has a point of view in the world or like does some good for people. That's why I love Twitter birthday. I was like, way to go, man. Like that is a Mm. strong opinion to have that people can either get on the side of it or not, but it starts a conversation and it informs. That's what I hope sticks, that people work harder to be more meaningful because I think we're all looking for more value out of everything, Mm -hmm. right? Like I've been stuck at home. And so to maybe what you said, I'm like more thoughtful about where I shop. I want my neighborhood to still have the stores and the restaurants that I love when I come back. I want the industry to stick around. I want more kinds of people to be in my industry. And so I'm just way more thoughtful about what the world looked like and what it should have looked like before this, that we just haven't done a good job of it. Real wake up call. Yeah, a real wake up call. Do you think all these advertising and all the diversity that you're seeing, is that going to continue or do you think we're going to go back? I think we can't go back. I agree. We can't go back. Like we need diversity of thought and we need to create ideas that are reflective of the world that is bigger than the people in the industry. And I really feel like the blessing of COVID is like we're sitting on our couches and we were forced to pay attention because it's not the first time it's happened, right? Where the world is aghast at some horrific action that is incredibly racist, but then we just go on with our lives. But somehow like sitting at home, you're like, fuck, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed for how the world is and how horrific it must be for people. And I think we are going to be held accountable to fixing the industry. And the sad thing is like, we got to go all the way back to the beginning. We have to go to places and recruit students where we've never gone before. We have to give people a shot who don't have the same kind of book that we might expect. It's like, well, to change our expectations. The other thing is like, we have to stop saying, which we do in advertising so much, you know, will you fit our culture? It's like, no, no, no. Like what will Mm. you bring to our culture that will make us richer that we didn't know before? Because suddenly when you're sitting in a room and you're ideating and somebody comes up with an idea that just comes from a totally different life experience, you're like, holy shit. Well, I mean, I'm loving talking to you. I feel like we could grab a glass of wine and sit and talk more, but I know you have to go. So if people want to learn more about NFA, which stands for No Fix Address, and more about you, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Are you on social media? I'm on social media. The other thing I wanted to say actually is in COVID started this awesome program called No Fixed Agency, which started as like an internal mentorship program just to help people navigate like whatever we were calling it, the new world. And it is now grown to like a full on external platform. Again, there's a website called nofixedagency.com and it gives anybody the opportunity to either be a mentor on our behalf or come and talk to industry people. So all kinds of people have signed up and you can go and find 15 minutes with somebody in strategy, creative, media, like you name it. There's a whole bunch of people, internal and external, like people have joined our initiative 
just as a way to support each other. So it's really just- Oh, that sounds great. And you know what? I've met the coolest, most awesome people. We've hired a couple of people. We've gotten business through some new relationships we've built. I don't know if you know Erica M. She's- of course, Erica was my generation. When yeah. I was when I was younger, she was the DJ on Much Music. What is yeah. she doing oh. now? That's a name blast from the past. Yeah, she's like a speaker, women advocate, all kinds of good stuff. So she w- was on the platform. Oh no, so if kidding! Anybody wants to talk to anybody at No Fixed Age uh, Address? Go to No Fixed Agency, and you can book time with anyone that appeals to you. So that's just cool. I'm probably most active in terms of like work on LinkedIn, sharing all the stuff that we're doing. So that's a good place to find me or through our website. And if anyone ever has any questions, like you can find my email on there, email me. <laughs> the one easy. thing I do love in COVID is like just meeting, meeting random people. Cause I think that's the, the thing I miss the very most is the accidental, beautiful things that happen in our industry when you're just sitting around and those things have been taken from us. And I'm worried for creativity in the sense that we control all the inputs of our day. And so if you just like open your day up a little to new people booking 15 minutes with you and you don't know who they are, all of a sudden you're like, that was interesting. You know, and mm-hmm. we well, we never would have met, and I'm so glad we did, right? You were right? so awesome. a random stranger, and I was a random stranger, and, <laughs> and now we're know, not. You know what? I have to say, that is the one thing I love the best about doing these podcasts is you and I having a really great conversation about a topic we're both passionate about. I mean, I would do this if nobody was listening. It's just been such an amazing experience. And I'm so honored that you said yes and that we were able to sit down and talk about this. So, yeah, thank you. No, thank you. I'm so appreciative of it. I I really appreciate it. Well, good luck with everything. And I am going to check out um, No Fixed Agency. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. No Fixed Agency, um, because that sounds really cool. And hopefully we will get to meet in person one day next time I'm in Toronto. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Okay, great. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Okay. Bye. And there you have it. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation and maybe learned a few things to help you with your branding. But most of all, I really hope you had some fun. This show is a work in progress, so please make sure to rate and review on whatever platform you listen to. And if you want to learn more about the branding badass, that's me, you can find me on social media under, you know it, branding badass. Thanks again, and until next time, Here's to all you badasses out there.